It is no secret that here on Locked on Reds and basically entire Reds country is all in on prospect Ellie De La Cruz. We're all very excited. But there's a whole lot more within this Reds farm system to be excited about. And we're going to dig into some of those players with a very special guest today on Locked on Reds. You are Locked on Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds with myself, Jeff Carr, and my co-host, Stephen Offenbaker, and with our special guest, Lindsey Crosby from Locked On MLB Prospects, joins us to Reds Addicts to talk about Reds Prospects as we look at Ellie De La Cruz, but also who is joining him this year so far as a prospect a rookie a guy who can make a huge impact on this roster that we're not currently talking about as much as we're talking about ellie de la cruz lockdown reds is part of the lockdown podcast network we are your team every day thanks as always for making us your first listen we're free and available on all platforms including uh, the talk about another prospect to be excited about whose name is not ellie de la cruz we're going to look at the possibility that the outfield could be filled with either an in-house guy or a trade and we're going to get into alfredo duno the newest reds prospect that the reds got on the international market that's all coming at you on today's locked on reds but let's bring him in now as Lindsey Crosby is joining us from the Locked On MLB Prospects show. Because let's face it, Lindsey, when it comes to the Reds, um, prospects are the most exciting thing. At the- <laughs> yeah, uh, the the nonprofit there has really invested in the farm system. And, and there's there's tons <laughs> of talent here. I really do love all of the talent. And I do love L.A. De La Cruz. Uh, probably a little bit too much. But no, I, I am very excited whenever I get to watch these games, whether I'm, I'm in Chattanooga or just on my LB.TV because there's tons of talent here. But it's mostly concentrated in the infield and the pitching staff. Yeah, there, there's there's definitely a glut of infielders, Steve. And we'll get to the outfield here in a little bit. But uh, uh, Lindsay's right to be excited about L.A. De La Cruz. No, there's no reason not to be excited about Ellie De La Cruz. He's, you know, we've said this many times, Lindsay, uh, as we've we've sang the praises of Ellie De La Cruz. You know, he's gone into every level of baseball thus far and taken about 10 days to, to find his groove. And then he's an, absolutely annihilated that level. And I don't see any reason to expect anything different from him as he either starts the season off in AAA or maybe in spring training fights his way onto the big league roster. Uh, and I think that we've reached the point with the, uh, the Ellie De La Cruz hype uh, that, you know, it might be a little bit unfair to him, but I think he's going to be a great addition to this Reds team sooner than later. But I also think there are a lot more guys coming that we're going to be able to fill in around him. Mm -hmm. Uh, that will put the Reds in line to be what I've said for about the last eight to 10 months, which is 2024 could be a year where the Reds find themselves with one of the lowest payrolls in baseball and one of the highest win totals in baseball. Yeah. The, when they pass out that, that trophy for, um, for dollars per win, you know, payroll costs per win, (laughs) uh, we call it the nonprofit award, Lindsay. That's going to be a that's going to be a fun banner to hang in Grand American Ballpark. Uh, no, 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 there is yeah, there is a lot of these guys, a lot of these prospects, these infielders 
are higher up in the system. And we've seen some of them already debut. Spencer Steer, I think, is like five at-bats away from losing prospect eligibility. A lot of them double-A, triple-A. And so it's easy to kind of look at the lineup now and say, all right, we can completely just swap out three, four, five guys by 2024, whether it's somebody like Joey Votto, who has an expiring contract, or it's just we have a better option and we're going to come in and we're going to put somebody else in. There's a lot of guys, and I think that you'll start to see that impact in 2023 of these prospects starting to come up and filtering into the lineup, trying to figure out where they fit and getting over that initial learning curve that is so hard for so many prospects when they first come up. Uh, like you mentioned, Eddie LaCruz has that little 10-game stretch in every different level where he takes him a little bit to get used to the pitching, and then he just takes off, although the strikeout rate still stays like 30%. I have no idea how he strikes out 30% of the time and still qualifies for a batting title. It blows my mind, but that's just the magic of L.A. De La Cruz. So who excites you the most not named L.A. De La Cruz? So right now, for 2023, the guy that I'd like to be up all year and be very impactful, I've already mentioned him, but Spencer Steer. I am a fan of Spencer Steer for a couple different reasons, but I think the first one is defensively, he just gives you so much versatility, right? Mm. He, Joey Votto was injured last year. He played nine games at first base. Like he can play first, he can play second, he can play third, he's played right field, he has time at shortstop. And while I don't think you should make him an everyday shortstop, he can play all of those positions at at least an average, if not better, level. And so there's somewhere he's going to play every day. I don't know if it's going to be the starting third baseman job or if he's going to be filling in, but it reminds me of watching Jake Cronenworth with the Padres, where you can take him and just slot him in anywhere in the infield, and he'll be perfectly fine. And while he's doing it, he'll be an above-average hitter. And I think Spencer Steer's power is a little bit underrated. And so, you know, I... I think you're going to see him 15 to 20 home runs if he gets a full season worth of starts, as well as giving you great defense at every position he plays. One of the things that uh, excites me about him is uh, I had him on the show last season uh, and interviewed him. And one of the things that I found exciting was he said he likes to move around. Uh, A lot of times you hear from these guys, well, you know, I'm a this, I'm a that, I play this spot. He enjoys moving around. And I really could see a scenario with him if all the other guys hit where he'll still get uh, full-time playing time but at a multitude of positions and be basically a super utility that plays every day kind of guy. And I think that just that component of his game makes him exciting because you need one of those guys in today's baseball, whether it's because of injuries or rest or, or whatnot, you need somebody that not only can move around, but is willing to move around. Yeah. And that mentality is a big part of it. Not like you said, not everybody has that. And there's even prospects in this system who have gone on the record as being like, Hey, I'm a shortstop. And I, you know, I, I intend to be the starting shortstop. And I'm like, well, there's five of y'all. So somebody's (laughs) going to have to move, but yeah, the, the versatility and I could see him being somebody, you know, Kevin Newman takes a, a foul ball off the ankle and he needs a day. Steer just slides from third to short, you know, Joey Votto is sick one day. He plays first. You can put him out in left field in place of TJ Friedley. You can put him out in right in place of Will Myers. It's just 
the, the versatility is there, and I can see a scenario where he plays six days a week at five different positions. And what I want to see, honestly, is the final day of the season. You have nine positions. You have nine innings. Let's get Spencer Steer one inning at every single position on the final day of the season. Just do it for the fans. Pull his best Will Ferrell impersonation. I'll exactly. Take that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I, um, I, Reds fans, we're used to uh, guys playing shortstop and being out of position. That seems to be a uh, theme over the last couple of years. Uh, no, I'm, I'm excited about Spencer Steer too. His, his plate discipline for me was what was so exciting to watch last season. And although it didn't translate into just otherworldly on base percentage numbers, dude had a tiny sample size worth of production. So I think that we're going to see it over the course of this season. He's going to get a lot of opportunity. I've seen reports that he's pretty much got the inside track to be the opening day third baseman. So I think that that's probably where he will start. Um, Very excited about that. Also excited about the future of this team when it comes to the outfield. It's a blank canvas right now. I mean, as of right now, there just seems to be so much opportunity and there's not really anybody who's knocking on the door. And Lindsay's got some thoughts on that. We've all got some thoughts on that because the Reds have a lot of things they got to do if they're going to fill the outfield when it comes to the future. We're going to get into that here in just a second. But before we do that, I want to tell you about a sponsor of today's episode, and that is Bet Online. Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all of your sports wagering information. Whether you're talking about futures for Major League Baseball, whether you're talking about the NBA season that's going on right now, the NHL, you've got NCAA men's basketball, you've got women's basketball, you've also got uh, your combat sports like MMA and boxing and wrestling and all that great stuff. You, You can bet on wrestling. I don't know that you should. That's probably not a great idea. But hey, if you want to, Bet Online is going to help you out with that too. Bet Online's got you covered when it comes to uh, live sports wagering. They've got prop bets, they've got money lines, they've got over unders, they've got all the point spreads that you could want. It's over at betonline.net. And you can check out Bet Online on your desktop or mobile device. And Steve's got a thought about Bet Online. I just want to say that right now, the Cincinnati Bengals versus the Buffalo Bills, Bet Online has the Bengals at plus five. You're going to get five points. Even better, if you're like me and you think the Bengals are going to win that game, which they are, the money line is plus 200. Get in and get in now if you think the Bengals are going to win. Yeah, baby. And Bet Online is going to have you covered for the rest of the playoff games, too. That's Bet Online. It's where the game starts. Thanks as always for making Lockdown Reds your first listen. Coming up tomorrow, we have an Aloha Friday live edition of the podcast. Steve and I will be taking your questions and your comments. We're going to be continuing to unpack um, this nonprofit organization and exactly what all they can continue to do to improve and all of that great stuff. But you know what? Enough, enough of that. Enough of the nonprofit talk. Let's get back to this this prospect talk. Let's get back to the future that is so bright, no matter who's open in their mouth in front of what microphone, because the Reds have an issue in the outfield. Part of that is they have opportunity. Another part of that is we don't really see who's filling that opportunity. You can maybe stretch and make a case for Jake Fraley, but I still need to see a lot more to say that Jake Fraley is going to be an everyday outfielder on a good Reds team. So, I put this question to Lindsay kind of when we were prepping. What is more likely to happen 
with the Reds outfield? Are they going to take an infielder and turn him into a successful outfielder? Not like Nick Senzel, or are they going to trade for a outfield prospect? What's most likely to happen? So prospect for prospect trades, I feel like are pretty rare as much as I want it to happen. What I feel is more likely is that you convert one or multiple infielders to outfielders. And then once you hit that competitive window in 2024 and you've established, okay, you know, Arroyo is going to be our starting shortstop. We're going to have, uh, you know, Marte at third or who, you figure out who's going to go where, then you take the leftover prospects and make a trade for a big league outfielder to supplement what you have. But to me, there's two obvious players here and probably a difference as far as the floor and the ceiling for them. But the first option is Matt McClain. I mean, if you think about it, uh, he had 50 starts in the center field at UCLA. So he's done this before. And I think that's a higher floor, but lower ceiling choice. But Matt McClain is somebody who could make that transition back to the out, but especially when you consider he's blocked at second base, as well as you have options that are better than him at both short and third. If he wants play time, that may be something he actually comes up and he volunteers to you. Um, but the other option and the one that I kind of advocate for is I want to see center fielder, Ellie De La Cruz. I think yeah, maybe I think there's a selling point. I think you could go to him and you could say, hey, we can do you in center field, or we can do Matt McClain in center field and put you in right and make you the next Ronald Acuna Jr. And I think something like that, Elodie La Cruz is on the record that he wants to be a shortstop and that he sees himself as a shortstop of the future. But I think if you present it to him in the, we want to make you the next superstar like Ronald Acuna Jr., you may have a chance of convincing him. And I think the rail gun of an arm, the speed, the instincts, all of that would play incredibly well in the outfield and would give you a ceiling of not only an all-star caliber outfielder, but potentially an MVP caliber outfielder if he were to successfully make the transition. And his height. And he doesn't have to jump that far to rob a home run. I mean, that's just science. Uh, Aaron Judge just reaches up and grabs it. That's what he can do, too. I mean, it's it's easy when you're that huge. <laughs> well, I feel so validated because everything you said about Matt McClain is what I've been saying about Matt McClain. Uh, my concern is this. Uh, he's another one of the guys I had on the show during the course of last season. Mm -hmm. And I asked him straight out, what position do you play? You know, baseball reference has you listed at this and this and this, and there's talk. And he didn't even let me finish the question before he said, I'm a shortstop. You know, I am a shortstop. And yeah. so I wonder if he's going to be one of those guys that might be reluctant to move. For me, he's the one that makes the most sense because you don't have to teach him the position. He's already played out there. Yeah. Um, as you say, higher floor. Uh, as far as Ellie goes, you know, the thing that gives me pause about predicting where he ends up playing is that we still don't quite know what he's going to look like in two years. There's going to be a lot of body changing going on with Ellie De La Cruz. He's going to fill out. He's going to bulk up mm -hmm. uh, his body that we, that he's got right now is not going to be the body we're putting on the field in 2025. Mm -hmm. So for me, 
I don't know if outfield's the answer. I keep seeing him as the third baseman of the future and, you know, a third base DH kind of combo, uh, depending on, on how he fills out. Uh, I like the idea of Matt McClain becoming a center fielder. Mm-hmm. I think if Jose Barrero has a long-term future with this team, it's going to be in the outfield somewhere, whether it's you know a corner or center field, it's going to be moving because I think that hitting wise, some of these other guys are just going to end up being better than he is at the plate. And he's going to have to move if he wants playing time. So for me, that's kind of how I see him shaking out. I think that Matt McClain is the most likely to move. I think he would be the best option for a successful move. And, and then as far as somebody else, because the Reds need more than one outfielder at this point, I think it's Jose Barrero. Yeah. And the, the reason that I looked at Eddie Cruz going to the outfield versus the infield was I was trying to find a starting spot for Noel V. Marte. And I don't think he's going to stick it short. And so to me, it felt like, well, he could do third. I like him better at third than I would in the outfield. And you could always have him as a DH, but it felt like a little bit of a waste. And so that was part of the reason why I was thinking De La Cruz in center. I do think that Eloy De La Cruz would be an elite third baseman. I think he would be one of the three best defensive third basemen in all of baseball. Again, that arm is so incredibly powerful that it gives you the ability to, to almost slow down a bit on some of your, your, your actions, uh, your hands, your transfer, because you have the out of, well, I have a, a literal railgun for an arm and I can get that ball across the infield in a split second. It reminds me of when Manny Machado came up mm-hmm. and was playing mm-hmm. third base and you would see him snag a ball in foul territory, stop, set his feet for a second, and then fire a ball across the infield. I can picture Ellie De La Cruz doing that same thing. So there's a lot of interesting ideas. Jose Barrero, to me, uh, I feel like could play outfield. I would question about his fit as far as the offensive contributions, unless he's in center. I don't feel like his bat profiles as a corner outfielder, mm-hmm. but I could see a, a, a scenario where he's in center. I do think Matt McLean's the best option to quickly get you a, like a level of competency out there. But again, I just don't know what the the ceiling is on McLean. And so that's why my thought process is we still might look at Eloy La Cruz out there or someone else. You're moving multiple players. When you mm-hmm. look at the, the internal options, I mean, of the you know some of the, the three best outfielders in the system now, Jay Allen's maybe the one that I could see if the power ceiling can f- resolve itself, maybe being an outfield option. But Reese Hines, you know, speeds below average and tons of power, but questionable hit tool. And then Mike Ciani has contact and power questions, but great defense. And so it's you got to move multiple guys because maybe Jay Allen could do it, but he's probably the only one out of that group. And Jeff, just to finish on that thought before I hog all your time, uh, Noel V. Marte, you know, I agree. You got to find a spot for him. I think his spot will be second base because I think the Reds will do something with Jonathan India. He'll either become the left fielder or he'll just spend most of his time at designated hitter because I think everybody else in the mix plays a better second base than Jonathan India does defensively. You know, you want to keep his bat in the lineup, but there's a little bit more, uh, to be gained by moving India off the infield and freeing up a spot for one of those other guys. Worth noting about all of the position changes, Matt McClain mostly played shortstop in the Arizona fall league. Noel V Marte pretty much every game at third base. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see how that develops. And, and 
the fact that they have not yet moved McLean because it feels I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys both. I, I think it feels almost elementary at this point that not only would he be better suited at center field, but there are better options in system for the shortstop position. Well, I tell you what's one position that uh, on top of outfield, the future is a little bit uncertain. The Reds signed a guy who way down the road could help shore up the future of the catcher position going to talk about who that is coming up here in just a moment but before we talk about that wanted to let you know that you can follow us on twitter in between episodes if you're watching us here on youtube you can see our twitter handles you can follow me at jeff Carr with three f's you can follow steve at s offenbaker with two f's you can follow Lindsay at crosby baseball and there's there's no f's in that you can also follow us on youtube as well make sure you click that bell to get notified whenever we've got new content for you all right, so the Reds were active. We, we finalized all of the international signings for all of the Major League Baseball teams over uh, the last, uh, that was, what was that? Was that Monday? No, that was, was that Sunday. Sunday. I think that, yeah. Yeah, um, that it was all finalized. And the Reds came away with a top five international prospect in catcher, Alfredo Duno. Having what do you know one- about him, Having one of the largest bonus pools, I'm really glad that you were able to get one of the top players with it. Uh, so, okay, a couple things to know about Alfredo Duno is, one, physically, he's already a big boy. 6'2", 6'3", 210 to 220. None of this stuff is exact. You have to understand that with international players. We'll get to that a little bit later. But 6'2", 6'3", 210, 220. The description that was given to me was, quote, chiseled. He is physically developed uh, pretty Usually well. Usually how people describe it. Yes. Said but, no one ever. <laughs> Your wife despite, doesn't even say that. <laughs> <laughs> but despite his size, he's actually apparently pretty athletic and surprisingly quick for his size. He's probably an average runner now, which for a catcher is really good. I mean, compared to most 17-year-olds, it's not great. But compared to a catcher, that's actually pretty good. And his arm is considered to be an absolute kind of cannon, uh, just massive arm. Now, defensively, he's good. He's not great. Kind of typical you see from any teenage catcher, never mind an international catcher. Uh, very good pop time, though. It's, I've, some of the scouting reports I've seen, 1.9 seconds or so, which is major league caliber already. And so good but not great defense, um, decently athletic. And then power this is where he really shines. I've, I've seen numbers from 65 to 70, so better than plus to double plus nice. power. And they're talking about because of the quality of contact that he gets, you're looking at like a 30 home run potential in the bigs, which for a catcher is phenomenal because anybody who listens to my show knows that you know average performance for a catcher offensively is like a 90 WRC plus. Uh, but, there is some criticisms as far as his offense goes. He does chase a little bit too much, which he's 17 years old. I'm not stunned at all that that is the case. Uh, and then he has some issues with the biomechanics of the swing. Like his upper and lower halves don't always stay in sync. And so because of that, it affects the timing and makes it harder for him to keep up with velocity or to stay on top of something that's breaking. Not a, not a deal breaker common thing we see a lot with these younger players, especially when they hit a growth spurt and they get up to 6'2", 6'3". So all things that are fixable, but ultimately it's 
the ceiling is all-star caliber catcher with who is a plus defender and can hit for power. And the question is, does he finally get there in the next five or six years before we see him in the bigs? Because that's kind of how long this process takes. Yeah, you were an all-star caliber catcher at 17, weren't you, Steve? <laughs> well, I don't know about all-star caliber, but I, I did catch some innings at age 17. That is true. And the thing to remember is just because he's like a top five prospect doesn't necessarily mean he is or isn't going to work out. Ellie De La Cruz wasn't ranked by anybody. He signed for like $65,000. And then you know he wasn't a top 40 or top 50 guy. And now he's fantastic. So keep that in mind. And I, and I think it's an important note with catchers specifically, especially catchers this young. Uh, by the time he works his way through the system, uh, he may not be a catcher anymore. You just never know. I mean, just as an example, when the Reds drafted Joey Votto, he was a catcher. You just, you never quite know how it's going to work out. Uh, Bryce Harper was a catcher. Especially someone that, you know, develops the hit tools and can hit for power. You know, they may decide, you know, quickly that they'd rather have him working at first base for, to be an heir apparent or, or, or however that that plays out. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, we get into this thing when, you know, and it's, I think, a result of how fast uh, prospects in the NBA and in the NFL move through. You can, you can look at a guy that's a quarterback in high school and you know, a highly rated quarterback in high school, and he's going to be a highly rated quarterback in college, and he's going to be a highly rated quarterback in the NFL. And same in the NBA. you got a shooting guard that's a, a senior in high school that's a great shooting guard in college for that one year that then becomes a great shooting guard in the NBA. Baseball's not that way. Things take time. People develop differently. They may not hit it all. It's still, you know, a great gamble when it comes to prospects. And I think we're spoiled by being able to look at the other sports and know that, you know, Arch Manning is going to Texas and then he's going to be a great quarterback in the NFL after that versus, you know, uh, Alfredo here signing with the Reds as a catcher. And he might be an all-star catcher. He might be an all-star at another position or he might not ever get a big league at bat. You just never know. And, and what complicates this too, especially with the, the international free agents is the structure of that system it's not a great system. We just, it's the best of all of the bad options. So a lot of these international free agents, they they have these verbal agreements have been in place for a year, year and a half. So the last time that a lot of these players were scouted in person by the organization signing them may have been 18 months or 24 months ago, you know, during the pandemic. So guys grow, guys change, guys evolve. And the way this whole, the whole system is set up with, you work with trainers down there who receive some, you know, you pay them when you get signed and there's usually kickbacks and things like that. It's a terrible system, but understand that it just, it, it's even harder to project out what an international player is going to do versus a domestic player who we've seen either in college or in showcases. We have track man data on them. We've gotten them in, on force plates and biomechanical assessments versus this is, Literally, I have not seen any direct video myself of Alfredo Duno. This is all what I have gotten from other people, a lot of them who have been there sending data out to people like me across the country. So it's it's not a great system. It's not a perfect science at all for scouting, period, but doubly so for international players. 
Lindsay, I want I want to just clarify. I want to make sure I heard you right and the listeners get a chance to to hear you right on this. So even though this name has been associated with the Reds for say the last 18 months and it's kind of mm-hmm. been out there, it was not a huge surprise that when signing day came, you know, Duno signed with the Reds. Mm-hmm. But during that in-between period, that 18-month period, the Reds weren't coaching him up. They weren't doing anything with him. If anybody that he was working with would have been some arrangement that he made himself with a coach, and you're talking about you know, that they work out the deal to get paid on the back end of it or, or whatever, but that's mm-hmm. all between the player and individual coaches for hire. That doesn't have anything to do with anybody that's within the Reds system, correct? Correct. Alfredo Duno trained with... Um, Coach Angel Valdares, can never say his name right, uh, at the VIP Academy in the Dominican. Now, uh, MLB has tried to create some sort of like trainer partnership program where there is some base level of oversight of these trainers, of these coaches. But he trained with the academy, with the coach, and tried out for the Reds, and there was a verbal agreement but the Reds have not been coaching him. The Reds have not been there on the ground every day with him, giving him instruction or even observing him that often. Uh, It has all been there at the Academy. And we've seen situations where some of these 14, 15 year old players, when they come to the agreement, they come to agreement with a different general manager than who is running the team when they can sign, because the rules are you have to turn 16 before you sign and you have to be 17 before September 1st of the following year. So like, th- there's a one-year band in here. Guys were born between September 1st, 05, and August 31st, 06. That's who was eligible to sign between January 15th through the end of the period. And so it- it's not a great system. The Reds have not had a lot of uh, access to him. The Reds have not had a lot of ability to give him instruction. And he's been doing things on his own with somebody who has a base level of oversight from MLB, but nothing like what it could be if we were to go in and fix this system and make it a better system. So we're probably talking about he's starting in the DSL, maybe gets to the complex league. We're not going to see him in, say, Dayton for like two years. Yeah, what I would expect would be he'll spend all of 2023 in the Dominican Summer League. Uh, usually what happens in those situations is 2024, they'll get here when the complex league opens midsummer, and he'll get probably about 25 or 30 games in the complex league. And then 2025, you see him in either Daytona or Dayton or both. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a, it's, it's a process. It takes a while. It's one of those things like, you know, we think locally and we're like, okay, when, when's a top prospect going to get to Dayton and when can we see him around here? So that's, it's, it's interesting to note. Like, like we said, uber talented at this point, but he's got a long road of development. And to say that what the Reds got right now is a sure thing is about as far from a sure thing as you can get. So there's a long road ahead, but it's, there's talent to be excited about and to see that development. And I'll tell you what, Lindsay, because I'm excited about the chances of Spencer Steer going crazy for the Reds this year, about what the Reds can do with Matt McClain and maybe even Ellie De La Cruz in the outfield, and looking forward to Alfredo Duno and, and everything going on. I know you've had a great series going on this offseason, kind of previewing some um, some farm systems around the league and stuff. What do you got coming up next? Uh, we are finishing up the National League East this week, 
And then next week, we are on your division. We are doing this by order of finish, so you will be probably a Friday or Saturday. We're at six days a week <laughs> right now. Um, but little quick preview, one of my potential breakouts for 2023, if they decide, instead of having him as a starter, if they decide to go ahead and make the move to the bullpen, I really like what right-hand pitcher Connor Phillips could do if given a chance to eat out of a bullpen. Interestingly, we talked yesterday about the fact that the Reds have given him a spring training invite for this year. He's going to be with the big league camp. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, he I, has, think see, I think they see that. They see that all or nothing approach that he has, and they think that might play really well out of the bullpen. Yeah, that, that, uh, that fastball slider combo uh, gives you a great combination of like top end velocity, uh, you know, velocity change, directional change, and would be just fantastic out of the bullpen. Well, I love that. And that is how we're going to end today's podcast. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for listening to the Locked On Reds podcast. And thanks for Lindsay for joining us. You definitely got to check out Locked On MOB Prospects now. Make them your second listen. Like he said, he's going through the NL East right now. Next week, going through the NL Central. And eventually, he'll get to the nonprofit organizations. But that's doing it for us here today. As Steve and I always say, we are locked on Reds every single day.